What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined once again by Coach Andrea for another Q&A. Andrea, thank you as always for being here. How has your week been? My week has been pretty good. Um, the saga continues with somebody in my house being sick for the last four months, but I'm so sick of even hearing myself talk about it. So I know that <laughs> all the parents listening can relate, though, because everybody in client check-ins has been... Uh, somebody's been sick for the same amount of time that we have, like, um, for the last several months, there's always people sick every single week. So it's crazy this year. But anyway, like I said, sick of hearing myself talk about that with diet. Um, we added food this week and it's been really exciting to me because my body is like handling it really well. And that hasn't happened in like years. It feels like every time I would add food in the past, my body just like hangs on to it. It clings to (laughs) my weight will jump up a little bit. Like whenever you get bloated or eat later or whatever, but then it just would not really come back down. And so everything has been so sticky for the longest time. And now like we're adding food, we've added, I think two or three times in, in the uh, last month or so. And mm-hmm. my weight stays the same or even goes down a little bit, which is really cool. It gets me excited for later on building or cutting and just like knowing that my body will probably respond. Oh yeah. I'm so to hear that. How high are your calories? I, they're still not super high. They're like 1950 calories ish. Okay. That's exceeding what I've been able to maintain on before so i'm happy with it <laughs> good i'm i'm stoked to hear that because i know you guys have been working on that for a long time like this hasn't been a quick process by any means eight months mm-hmm. damn okay yeah. um but so are you kind of like on the other side of all that now and you think you'll be able to push for like building your fat loss soon or do you think it's still gonna be a longer time frame it's probably still gonna be a longer time frame i'm finishing up the gut protocol pretty soon. Um, I should be switching over to the last phase of it, like the last week of this month. And that's, so this phase has been a lot of supplements. Um, this next one is just going to be a probiotic and that's pretty much it. Um, so that'll be cool to reduce the amount of pills that I'm taking by like, uh, uh, probably 15 per day. (laughs) Um, and then after that, I'm going to get another set of lab work, which I haven't gotten since probably three months in. So five months ago ish. So okay. I, I think it probably depend on what those look like. And I, I, I don't know for sure, but I imagine he'll probably want to get my calories up a little bit higher. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm excited for you. What do you feel like? Have there been any major takeaways, lessons you've learned from the first couple of phases of your gut protocol? the gut protocol. Yeah. Um, for me, well, I I think that this is pretty common for everybody. If I am really strict with myself on having really regular meals and not having any snacks or anything like that, my digestion is so much better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, I, my fiber was just too high before and it's hard for like, especially in calorie. Go ahead. I think every coach you've transitioned to, it's been like my fiber's high. I need to lower it. My fiber. I feel like that's been like 
with me, then with Sue. And now once again, I feel like it's been like, yeah, my fiber was still too high. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm part of that is that my calories have just been low. Mm-hmm. Like I, for 1800 calories, I was probably maintaining on about that much, but I was still hungry. <laughs> it's right. just not enough food for me to feel like fully satiated. And so I would eat a lot of vegetables, a lot of higher, fi- higher fiber, higher volume foods. And that is, we'll see how it goes transitioning into a deficit. I mean, hunger is normal in a deficit, so that's expected, but to feel like you're trying to maintain and then just being hungry (laughs) all the time is not pleasant. So eating the higher fiber stuff helps with that, but it was just too, it was just too much. So, so it was like helpful, but at the same time, kind of potentially making the issue worse. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Any other big takeaways? It's all good. If not, just curious. With the gut protocol specifically, um, I think that as we've brought calories up, my 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 digestion has stayed really good, and that mm-hmm. wasn't really the case in the past. So I think just like building a solid foundation, and this goes with the hormone side of things too. Like just spending more time at maintenance and um, laying all that foundational work before trying to push for any changes. Yeah. I think just the time frame as well is such a valuable thing for other people to hear again. Like it's been eight months, right? And again, like this is more not to say like a lot of people will not be in a good position to build or cut for eight months because I don't think that's the case, but it is almost always going to be a longer timeline than you want. And I think that's something like the sooner you can embrace that for physique development, the more you'll be able to actually enjoy the process rather than like, why am I not there yet? And just like, it can easily, if we don't, again, if we don't embrace just like, Hey, this is going to take a long time. And can I just enjoy the week to week, the day to day? Can I actually enjoy what I'm doing here? I think if we don't embrace that, it just becomes something that you kind of hate. And then it, or like for a lot of people, it's kind of just like, okay, this is like a 12 week push to get to like X body weight or whatever it may be. And then if it's like, that's how you approach it, then that's where like, okay, I never took the time to learn to enjoy this or to like learn how to build it into something that was actually a realistic lifestyle for me. And then you fall off. And then again, it's kind of like, yeah, short-term you got the thing, but long-term you set yourself back. So, okay, cool. Well, I'm really glad to hear that that's going so well. And it's cool to hear like you eating more um, and maintaining or even getting a little bit leaner. Because again, I know that's like that whole, it's been interesting to see your journey um because i know like when we went through a fat loss phase together it was just a grind and as we discussed after that like you weren't able to maintain on as much as we would expect it and i know like the same thing for your like most recent photo shoot prep so i'm really excited to see like what like a building phase and a fat loss phase for you after this looks like i'm proud of you for like take sticking with it that long i feel like things like this also are kind of the best like i was thinking my my shoulder injury like it was so frustrating at the time but it like was the thing that caused me to in a roundabout way, gain a lot of weight, which caused me to like learn about nutrition and like so much more about like training and working around injuries and things of that nature. Like it was one of the best things that happened where I feel like as a coach, like going through things like this yourself is almost always the best way to learn like how we apply. And like, it just allows you to so much better help so many more people. Yeah. I feel like most coaches who have like any sort of 
specialty or like an area that they're a little more passionate about, it's because they've had to go through that themselves and learn it firsthand. So it's so much easier to relate that to clients. Oh, absolutely. I think like the, the best coaches are rarely the people that are like very gifted also, you know what I mean? Like the person that's like, I would just naturally just jacked and super lean and I have great genetics. I think it's much more so like the people that have been like, I have to like work so hard and like, I have to do so much more research to try to figure out like, how do I overcome these things? Right. Where it's like, there's be it like your genetics, be it whatever it is, like gut issues, whatever it is, like being forced to work through those things, I think really is what allows you to be a better coach, but that's kind of a different topic. Cool. Um, yeah, for my week, what I think we talked about last week just started. So I just wrapped up my first week of the chested bicep specialization phase, which has been, um, good so far, been really enjoying it. Uh, a lot of chest and a lot of biceps. So honestly, it feels relative to like, before I was doing two, I was doing basically upper, lower, upper, lower delts and arms. So like, I feel like now, like, I feel like the most fatiguing body parts to train are of course, lower body, like anything, lower body is typically just pretty fatiguing and then back. So like now I have, I have one pull day, but, and I have one lower body day, but then like those, those chest, like a chest and arms day to me, like just doesn't ever feel nearly as tiring. So it's like, as a whole, um, it feels like a lot less I'm pushing myself, but as, as of now, it feels like a lot less effort. I don't know if that will continue or not, but regardless, I've been enjoying it. Um, finally got blood work back, which I know we went over on Friday's call as well. Um, biggest thing that stood out to Brandon was specifically like the reverse T3 being super high. The rest of my, uh, thyroid panel, like my TSH, my T4, my T3, were all in like a very good place. Super happy with that. But T3 specifically was very high and he just talked through like, Hey, because all your other thyroid markers are in a very good place. Um, this indicates like your reverse T3 being super high. Isn't like an indicator of a nutrient deficiency or like an energy deficit or anything of that nature, but like whether you feel it or not, stress is probably a lot higher. Um, so we've been to help you to advise you on lowering stress. Yeah, that's we've been, we've been talking through that a lot. Um, the last couple of days we've gone back and forth on quite a few things like that and really working through, uh, the lifestyle that side of things as well. And it, it's, for me, it's very helpful. I really appreciate about Brandon. We're in a very similar like situation with like, I, he has a very good understanding of like what my lifestyle is like, like also what I value the things that I'm not willing to trade off. And like some of it is just going to be stressful. So I feel like he's good at, with like, like very relatable and like can give insights into like, Hey, this is something that I do because we're in a similar situation. And this really helps me. So that's, we've been working through a couple of things like that, as far as like, what could I do to better manage stress? And part of it's just been like, um, maybe some of it's being more social. Um, maybe some of it is like, cause I, I don't like ever see anyone or get out. And that's something I thought about as well. Um, meditating actually, that sounds kind of cliche, but meditation is something that I have found. It does really help me. I just fucking hate doing it so much. It's like painful to sit down and do, but that's something I committed to. Okay. We'll start doing that more just because for me, it's like practicing being present, right. Which is something that I really struggle with. And I feel like so much stress comes from like either being for me, it's typically like being in the future and trying to like, I don't know, just overthinking things. So 
I don't, I don't necessarily, I honestly feel like the less stressed, the least stress that I have in probably like the last four to five years, but I like, I know like my last round of blood work, like my reverse T3 was like in the exact same place as it is now. Um, so we're working through a couple of things like that. And I mean, part of it is too, is the biggest thing with that is it's like a, it's not necessarily something like, yes, we could just supplement, we could supplement, but that's kind of a bandaid, not necessarily addressing the root cause. And I feel like the hardest thing with like things that are so lifestyle specific is like, how much of it are you willing to change? And for me, it's been like thinking through like, so how much of what I'm doing right now, am I truly willing to change? You know what I mean? But as far as like work and things of that nature, like, I, I don't know. So it's an, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to think through, but um, we, yeah, we're working on, we're still kind of working on figuring out what the next steps are from here, but yeah, that's kind of where I've been at. Yeah. That sounds like mobility work to me, like meditation mobility, oh, yeah. that kind of stuff where it's like, it's so not fun to do. And it takes so long to see the payoff <laughs> and there's no immediate gratification in it either. Like there's no feeling that you get after it. Like there, like there is with training it's that's hard for me to implement too. I probably should do that as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I used to be, it's been a big shift like three to four years ago. I was really, really into meditation and, and I would like meditate before I write. And I feel like it really helped me like just feel more creative and basically get out of my head. And that was something I would do a lot, but I've gotten away from it. And like, I feel like things like that have gotten a lot harder for me, which is probably again, that could also be part of like why we're seeing this. But I, um, as of now, I don't think we're like pulling things back, um, with like training or anything of that nature. And again, I also think like the style of training that I'm following right now, like systemically, I don't think it's that fatiguing. So, um, I like, I think like if I would have gone through with like a quad specialization phase and we were training like quads three days a week, like, I think that would be quite a bit more fatiguing than what I'm doing right now. So I'll definitely continue to keep you guys updated. Um, I know we, again, we looked through that past that, like most everything else looks pretty solid. Um, my liver values were actually a little bit high, which was very surprising to me. Um, and I'm not sure why that was. So we introduced Tudka. Um, but yeah, past that, past that, I think most everything else was in a pretty good place. And we we're pretty happy with where everything was cool. Yeah. Um, ready to get into these questions. Yep. All right. Let me pull this up and I will kick the first one over to you, which is what's your perspective on folks who say tracking is disordered or should only be done in a cut? I, so to me, this is kind of a similar conversation as like not letting your kids see you track your food or things like that. To me, it's mm -hmm. all about the approach, the mental approach that you have to it. So I look at tracking my food, just like if someone were to be tracking their finances, it's just a method of like making sure that you're having enough, but not too much. Um, to, or like, I also relate it to if someone is baking a cake, is it disordered to weigh out those ingredients? No, it's just a method of control. And I think that our environment is set. I don't think I know that our environment is set up in a way that Everything around us is high palatability, 
high caloric value, very easy to overeat by thousands of calories if you weren't using some sort of, of method of control or restriction. And so tracking is one of those methods of control or restriction. Um, you know, other people may use low carb diets or paleo or some other named diet, but the, really the root of that is it's a method of restriction because it excludes some foods to bring the calorie count down. And with tracking, I, to me and, and you and the, the people that we coach prefer that method of tracking, because to me, it's the most educational because you're not just like willy nilly <laughs> excluding this whole group of foods and just, you know, like, well, I guess this is working. I don't know why, but instead, you know, okay, this is the amount of food that I feel my best on that I'm fueling myself, that my training feels really good. My sleep is good and so on. And you can also manipulate the each macro and see how you feel best that way as well. And then knowing that you can go, okay, I want to reduce my body weight a little bit, or I want to reduce my cholesterol or whatever it may be. And you can have a little bit more precise control over those things. So I obviously don't see it as, as, um, what was, what was the word? <laughs> I don't see is it, it as is it disordered? Yeah, disordered at all. It's just a way of keeping tabs on things, which is important. It's it for me. Um, I'm somebody who likes to <laughs> going back to the gut issues, <laughs> likes like my natural habit. If I were to just not pay attention to anything is just to kind of graze on things and not eat a solid meal. And that obviously doesn't work out very well for me. Um, and that also ends up with wildly different calories day to day. So that's not a way that I'm going to feel my best or perform my best or anything else. So yeah, it's just it, tracking food to me, it's just down to the mentality that you come at it with. If you were like, I'm tracking my food because I need to eat the smallest amount as possible and I've got to get five pounds off this week or whatever it may be, then eh, it might be disordered in that way. It, but the way that we're doing it, it's that the mentality around it is way different. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that it's first, like what is disordered is a very hard thing to define, right? Like it's interesting that like this conversation specifically, people only look at like tracking, that's disordered. But also if we look at like, okay, let's say like, how do we define like what is disordered and what isn't right? Okay. So let's, you're not tracking. Let's say you have, okay. So it's having like six to seven, six to seven alcoholic drinks in a night. Is that disordered? Is that like, is that almost that okay? Is having terrible lab work? Like is like your health being less than optimal? Like, is that disordered or is that okay? You know what I mean? Where it's like, so what is the thing that we're choosing instead of this? And is that truly like more ordered? It's what's the opposite of disordered? It's not ordered. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, is that more the opposite of disordered than this thing? Um, I think again, like things have the, it depends on what meaning, as you said, it depends on what meaning you assign things, right? I think we could look at anything. We could literally look at any form of tracking something again, like finances, you're checking your budget every day. If you're checking your money every day, like, is that disordered? Right. If it's literally anything like we can, or on the flip side, like, again, like 
not tracking your money at all. And we're in an unhealthy place financially. Is that disorder? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's so much of a, we could assign this to most anything. So I really think it comes down to the meaning you assign it. Um, I think there are, like, there is a small percentage of people. These are individuals. Like when someone like this comes up, like on the initial call, I'll refer them on where it's like, Hey, that's within like, because there will, there, it will be the occasional person where like, Hey, mentally, I don't think that tracking your food right now is the best fit for you. Now we personally, like, that's not who we work with the best. So, Hey, here's like a couple people that I would refer you onward to. Um, and like, I'll put you in connection with them. But again, I think that it's very much comes down to the meaning you assign it. Um, now the second part of it was uh, people who say you should only track in a fat loss phase, which I think that tracking like in a fat loss phase, the best way to make your life miserable is to kind of halfway, like, especially if you're tracking is to track like 80% of your food, right. Or to track, like track your foods, but not actually like weigh and measure at least the more calorically dense foods, because that's like just enough tracking to feel like it does all the, you're doing all the work of tracking, but that last like 10 to 20% of accuracy is like what gets people to see progress versus not seeing progress. So I do think like in a fat loss phase specifically where we do have to be more dialed in, especially for the clients we work with, who are typically like already pretty fit people trying to get, take their physique to another level. Um, just the degree of precision that's required there. Uh, of course, like that's, that's going to be greater. Whereas if our goal is a maintenance fit maintenance, for example, we do have a lot more flexibility. There is room for, and I think this is more a person by person, like person to person dependent. I think a maintenance phase is where we have the most flexibility, right? Where, Hey, we can implement like untracked periods, be it a free meal, be it a free day. Sometimes it might be like, Hey, we're going to take some time off tracking as a whole. Now, I think when we swing too far, like I also think when we swing in the other direction where like our goal is a building phase, right? I think there, well, we can build, we can look at like, what's the scale trend like? Um, The less precise we are, it's just like, that's a scenario where it's like, hey, what are the trade-offs you're okay with making? Are you okay with us not knowing like we're fueling you to the absolute best of our ability. We're really doing a great job timing your carbs very specifically. Um, we can be very precise with the amount that you're taking in so that again, we can like optimize the ratio of muscle gain to fat gain, right? Where we can't necessarily do that nearly as well if we're just doing something like, unless we're following a meal plan, which I wouldn't say is any, like if we're looking at like uh, uh, tracking is disordered or like too restrictive, I don't think the following a meal plan is any less of that then it's again, like we don't really have a great way to measure this. So like, it's much harder for us to make the adjustments. So again, we can like make sure you're gaining, but we can't be quite as precise with like, okay, we want to make sure we're optimizing your ratios of these different nutrients. And again, your rate of gain. So I think again, like depending on your goal, I think that, but even there, like within like building phases, we'll introduce free meals, we introduce free days and things of that, depending on the client. I think that there it's very person specific. Um, again, some people like after the fat loss phase will just want to maintain and some people won't want to track for the rest of their lives. Right. And that's perfectly fine. Like we'll have clients that will eventually transition away from it or again, won't want to track as consistently. And again, like I think like in a maintenance phase, that's, it's just, I think there it's more so like, are you okay with the trade-offs that you're choosing? Right. Where again, if it's like, Hey, my goal is to optimize my lean gains going forward. Okay. We probably need to track. If the goal is like, I just want to stay pretty close to this physique that I'm at right now. 
um, I'm okay if I see some small fluctuations here and there, then it's probably fine not to, right? Uh, do you have any other thoughts on that? I, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to organize my thoughts on it. Um, I don't know what the, the like the, the argument against this, I, I don't know what the desired outcome is. Because not tracking and then and then I, I would assume probably like not weighing or anything like that. A lot of times the either if you want to have some control over the outcome of your physique, that does lend itself better to like a meal plan style of eating because mm-hmm. if things are more repetitive, that gives you more control, but without the tracking aspect. So and that also, like you said, doesn't seem less disordered on that scale if you're thinking about like what is the amount of control and freedom that we want to have so i guess the so yeah i just don't know what the desired outcome would be because you know if we're not controlling any aspect of it then it's like basically standard american diet territory where that doesn't lend itself to a good outcome with physique or health or anything else so to me the the tracking is the area of um controlling things that gives you the most amount of freedom i agree um that's an interesting topic and i think it's one we could talk about all day but uh, basically like if you the goal is to again like say lean and fit and healthy for most people that entails a pretty large degree of structure be that like tracking so hey i do i can like do a lot more flexible dieting and still like maintain this physique or be that like a non-tracking method, which is, Hey, I more or less repeat pretty similar meals across most of the week. Right. Where either way, like there is a large degree of structure there. There are like the outliers who like can kind of seemingly just eat whatever they want and maintain. But the reality is that's not either of us. That's probably not anyone listening to the podcast. Right. It's like that one person, you know, it's like, ah, I wish I was like that person, but unfortunately we're not. Um, cool. Okay. Let's move on. What do you have for me? All right. Um, are steps completed at a walking desk at a slower pace? Okay. To count toward your step goal. Absolutely. Um, I think walking, I wouldn't worry too much about the pace that you're walking at. Um, really a steps, a step. I think if we're trying to like, when we're trying to like get that split hairs that much, like, well, I'm moving at a slightly slower pace. So like, am I expending a little bit less effort and thus burning fewer calories? Like, I don't think we need to think about it to that extent. Really, I would say a step is a step. And I think walking desks are great also. I know like you have a walking desk, Julie does. A lot of our clients have grabbed those as well. It's just a great way to multitask and get in a good amount of movement. Um, Just makes higher steps like as a whole, like that kind of higher energy flux lifestyle, a lot more realistic. Yeah. So I think that the only reason that you might not that you might want to also add in a different form of walking, I guess, is if you're also looking for that cardiovascular adaptation, you're not really going to get that with steps at your treadmill desk. But if you're just talking about like how we control or how we um, give a step count target, that is just to control for non-exercise activity. Um, just like, and, and that's accumulated steps throughout the day. That's like walking back and forth to do your laundry or, anything else that you're doing through the day. So in that case, it's just, are we sitting all day long at a desk in front of a screen or are we getting up and moving around enough to keep 
blood flowing and burning a good amount of calories and keeping energy flux high. And in that case, I love my treadmill desk because that has made it so much easier to get in my steps through the day without it being a stressful thing to me. Because before I got it, it was like, okay, I finished up work. Now it's time to get another 8,000 steps. <laughs> and so it was just like a mental load on me. And, and then also just feeling more mentally fatigued by the end of the day. But whenever I'm able to walk and then, you know, sit down for a while and then get up, get up and walk for a while, it's so much easier to hit that step count. And I feel more awake by the end of the day. So I'm a big fan of treadmill desks. Absolutely. And I mean, you'll still get so many benefits from it. Like even if it's like post-meal, the improved insulin sensitivity, nutrient partitioning. So absolutely. Um, also got another one similar to this in response to counting steps. Does it matter if it's walking or jogging there? Uh, I would typically prefer, I mean, as you said, like the modality is the intensity here is going to be important, right? Where it's not the biggest deal if we're like jogging occasionally and getting their steps in. I think there, there is like, there are some lines here though, where like typically when we're looking at steps, there are going to, I would typically prefer most clients. Like if we have a specific step goal, Hey, let's try to keep this mostly to walking because that is not something that's going to create a larger recovery debt that our body has to recover from. Right. Whereas typically walking is something that helps put us in a parasympathetic state or actually like helps us relax and recover further. And again, improves digestion and things of that nature. Um, but it's also going to help us burn more calories throughout the day. Whereas when we're getting into like more moderate intensity or higher intensity modalities, so something like jogging, that is going to be something that, Hey, this is further draining our body's recovery resources. And it does take more of that for our body to recover from. Right. So if it's like, we're doing a large amount of, now we have a lot of clients who like, Hey, I like to run recreationally, maybe like three to four days per week. And we definitely take that into account and we work that into part of the plan, but I would want to make sure that that's not like a, Hey, we're just sporadically. Like I have a client's leave, leave notes as far as, okay. Like I went for a 20 minute run here. I went for a 20 minute run here. And even then, like a lot of times it will be like counted as part of the steps, but I also want to make sure I can take that into consideration. Um, as far as like day to day, what are we doing with nutrition to make sure we're also accounting for this within recovery. Right. So there, I think it's, I still like to set like kind of a standard, Hey, maybe we run for about three days a week. And again, maybe you're doing like three miles per run or something, something of that nature. So we can account for it with, again, your nutrition and making sure you're still recovering from that and adjusting your training. But I think like the more sporadic you are there, the harder it makes it for us to kind of take that into account. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. I don't think I have anything to add on that. Cool. Um, what you got for me next? Next question. How can and would a recomp work for a client who's limited due to post-surgery recovery? Yeah. So there, I mean, first it's going to depend somewhat on what, what the injury is like, right. Where it's an interesting question. Um, yeah, the injury is going to be an important variable, right. Where it's going to be like, is it a spine injury, right. Where it's like, Hey, we can't really train anything safely versus like, is it a hand injury where it's, Hey, during this time, we can really push your lower body pretty hard. We're going to have to get in, into positions. Like we're going to have to get in very stable movements where of course we don't have to use that hand to like set back the recovery time there. 
So again, that may be like a, we're using a leg press, a seated leg curl, um, something like a Smith machine hip thrust, right? There's lots of good op, like a V squat for our hinge pattern, um, a reverse V squat in that case. Like there's lots of good options where we could still really push lower body hard. Um, and maybe we can do some upper body work depending. So again, it's going to be dependent on what the injury is or vice versa. Like maybe we can push upper body, but we can't push lower body very much. So first and foremost, it depends on the injury. Now, again, if it's like something like a, um, I had a surgery and I can't brace hard for a period of time. And again, like my, it depends, it essentially depends on like what your movement restrictions are, but if we are cleared for activity, um, or again, like there's like half of your body, we can push a little bit harder. We can really focus on continue to add tissue there. And there is even some research, like it, let's say you injured your right arm. If we train our left arm, that'll still mean to help maintain, um, tissue and strength on the other side as well, which is very interesting. So that would, that's also something that would come into equation, the equation, but I mean, past that point, that's also a scenario where I probably wouldn't want to put somebody in a deficit depending. And again, depending on the severity of the injury, like the thing is, if it's an extremely severe injury, no matter what, we're probably not trying to recomp or like trying to get you to train too hard. We're probably just focusing on recovery. But again, if it's like something relatively minor, then we would probably want this individual right around maintenance, probably not a need to push into a surplus. If it's like, Hey, we're only able to train half of your body, but right around maintenance again, especially if a lot of times individuals who started are starting coaching, haven't been taking an optimal approach to training specifically for building muscle. So typically there's a lot of muscle growth less on the table. Also, a lot of times individuals like this haven't been a good, doing a good job, like fueling themselves going into a training session or like optimizing post-workout nutrition. So there is a lot of, there are typically a lot of muscular gains left on the table. So we can start to take advantage of that and just at maintenance still see a pretty good recomp effect where, Hey, we see you build a decent amount of muscle. Again, we're not in deficit. So we're not pushing for a lot of fat loss, but we can typically see like a decent amount of muscle growth there again, like giving you're in a good position to push harder. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of how I would approach it. It's not really, it is somewhat different because I probably would be like, focusing on spent keeping this client at maintenance versus we might push to like a more slight deficit depending on where the client is coming from in other scenarios. But yeah, I think that's how I'd approach it. Any other thoughts from you on that? You're you're you are right with it being um really highly dependent on what the injury is. But with surgery, I'm just trying to think of like any surgery that wouldn't really wouldn't really alter training too much. Even like surgery on a hand that's going to make things more difficult with any pulling. Um, you know, I've, I've had this before and we just kind of like rig up elbow straps. So you're pulling, but with your elbow, but it does make it really hard. And with recomp specifically, it's one of those things where you have to have things dialed in so well that I think that recomp would be pretty hard in that situation. I think managing your expectations is important in that sort of scenario. It's probably not the best time to try and make, like drastic changes to your physique. I think that hanging out around maintenance is probably a good idea and just do the best you can that you have for sure. But then just manage your expectations and don't expect to see this drastic change in your physique, unless it's like, I hurt my hand and I want to see specifically change in my lower body. Then that's probably feasible. But outside of that, I would just really, really manage expectations. Okay. I love it. I, I fully agree. All right. Next up, if it's totally impossible to move your schedule around, but you didn't sleep well, is it okay to still train that day as long as this is not a habit? 
What about if it's a bad week of sleep due to things out of your control? Still okay to train and train your normal intensity. What do you think? With one one night where you really can't move things around, I think it's it's like, okay, how how much progress are you going to make in this one training day if you were to go ahead and push it? And how much are you going to be missing out on if you don't? <laughs> um, so it's kind of, it to me, doesn't really matter that much one way or the other. I think it depends on like how, how much of an effect you feel afterward. Hmm. I would probably, if I wasn't able to um, change up my schedule, I probably would go ahead and do it and just lighten the load a little bit and take it a little bit easier just to go through the motions and get some blood flow, keep your normal routine. That's the biggest thing to me is just like, let's keep the normal routine so that you don't feel completely off. Um, I, I hate missing my usual lift days just for that reason alone, because it feels like things are off. Yeah. Um, if you're missing a whole week of sleep, I think in that situation, I would look at first, why are you missing a whole week of sleep? <laughs> That's a good, <laughs> a good question. Yeah. But sometimes you can't, like if you're, it, gosh, that depends on so much on the, the situation with that too. Like if you're a new mom, that's also manager expectations kind of conversation. If it's going to be a long-term thing where you can't sleep, it's like you have a sick kid and they're waking you up all week overnight. That's something where I would do sort of the same thing where just go in and go a little bit lighter, maybe take it a little bit further for failure. Cause it's not the time where you want to go in and crush yourself losing out on sleep. You're already going to be in a spot where stress is a bit higher. You're probably feeling a little bit draggy and snappy and all of that fun stuff. And then going into the gym and smashing yourself there is just going to exacerbate all of that. So um, I guess in both situations, I would just go in and take it a little bit lighter to summarize. <laughs> what do yeah. You think? I agree. Um, I think that the single day is less of a big deal than an entire week, right? Where if it's like it's a single day, I slept four hours, five hours, I just feel terrible. That's honestly, if it's like, hey, I'm just going to have to miss this training session once, that's not a big deal. If it starts to become a recurring habit, where it's like, if you see this as being something that happens consistently, or I as a coach identify it, like we need to first, we need to figure out like what the issue here, here is with the sleep, right? Um, and then like the, the longer we extend that time scale. So like extending to a week, that's where, again, I think it's even more important to like, Hey, like we can't dismiss this entire week of training, even if nothing else, like if you just come back after this week and we hop back into it, you're going to be hella sore. We're going to lose some of those neurological adaptations. You won't have actually lost muscle, but you will feel a little bit weaker. So let's like practice the skill of the movements. And part of the beauty of using things like RIR or RPE within your training is it does allow you to auto-regulate things a little bit, right? So within this, um, like what, what one RIR feels like, like on a day you're well-rested will be different than like one RIR on a day where I only slept like four or five hours, for example, right? So part of the beauty of this is like kind of allows you to auto-regulate. So like, no matter what, when you are underslept, you won't be able to train at the same intensity as you'll be able to push yourself like like relative to how hard it feels like you're pushing yourself in your other sessions, you'll still be able to like push yourself, but you won't be able to like move the same load, for example. So part of the beauty of like using something like RIR, like we use is it is somewhat auto-regulatory based on how you're feeling day to day. 
Now, on the, this, this somewhat reminds me like the conversation we were having around training around like PMS symptoms and training around the cycle, where it's not something ever where it'll just be like, at least because I know that this question comes from Brandy, who's working with Natalie. Shout out to Brandy, who is crushing it. And also, Caroline asked the question about tracking, which uh, shout out to Caroline. Also, Andrea, your client for just cranking out those pull ups. Um, but you guys are both doing incredible. Um, but part of this is also like, there won't just be a situation where it comes up and it won't be like, it's not something we're addressing already within coaching, right? Where it'll probably be either like, first, we're looking at what is, what are causing these sleep issues and your coach very well may like, Hey, let's pull back on the intensity, right? Like, whereas before maybe we were planning on pushing most things to one RIR this week, Hey, maybe we're going to keep it right around two to three RIR, right? You're not going to regress here, but this is going to feel a little bit less intense. Maybe we're pulling volume back a little bit as well. And I'll say also like during periods like that, where like life stress is higher or our stress recovery is lower, depending on the scenario, like there are times where we just need to push, but like in a situation like that, I probably would pull back volume and intensity just a bit similar to what you said. So I think I'm at this point, I'm saying the same thing you, you were saying. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, any other thoughts on that? No. Okay, cool. Um, do you have anything else for me? Uh, do you have any more questions? I have one more, which is ab exercises to hit lower abs. Yeah. Uh, so any flexion movements that you're doing, you're going to be working all of your rectus abdominis. So there's, there's not really like a, let's single out the lower abs, but you can do the, the hip to, to rib cage movements where you're kind mm -hmm. of initiating with the low abs and you're going to feel them more there. So that would be like I said, anything where you're bringing hips up to ribs rather than ribs to hips. <laughs> so that's like a guard hammer raise where you're lying down and just slowly curling your ribs or your hips up. Um, a hanging knee raise is the same thing. Um, and then aside from those, you can also uh, work your TVA with things like dead bugs and scissor kicks and things like that, where those are ones where you'll feel those quite a bit in the low abs as well. But that's, that's the, the TVA where it's beneath the six pack, the rectus abdominis muscles, but that's typically like those type of movements where you like feel like you're working your low abs. That's what it's doing is working that corset muscle underneath. Yeah. That's a great explanation. Yeah. The abs are, the abs are one specifically when we're talking about like our rectus abdominis or six pack muscle, that is, it's going to be a pretty simple muscle group to train where it's somewhat different than like, um, <clears throat> let's say we're looking at like your glutes, right. Where it's like, okay, am I working more of my glute maximus or am I working more of like, which is going to be like the meat of your, the meat of your glute sounds weird. The largest part of your glute is what I mean there. Or is it going to be like my glute mead, which is going to be more like my upper side glute, right? The abs are, your rectus abdominis is different from that where it's pretty simple muscle, right? Whether it's like we're doing spinal flexion. So think something like a weighted crunch or a cable crunch where our lower body is staying fixed and we're pulling our rib cage closer to our hips. So our upper body is moving or something like a reverse crunch or a gar hammer raise or a hanging knee raise where our upper body is staying fixed and we're pulling our pelvis closer to our rib cage. No matter what, we're basically going, we're just lengthening and shortening that muscle, right? It's not so there, like it's different than like, I wouldn't look at it as like upper and lower abs. Um, 
being like the same as like, am I working my glute max or am I working my glute meat? And these are two different muscles rather. It's like, just like, think of it almost like it's all the glute max, right? We have like the upper attachment of my glute max. And we have the lower attachment of glute, my glute max, but really as long as I'm contracting this muscle and lengthening it. So again, like any of those options you'd laid out would be great options. We're still going to be developing it uh, the same. So there, yeah, I would, I would really just try to choose like a couple ab movements that feel the best for you. Um, similar to what she said, like when it comes to requisite abdominus movements, I would say my favorite movements are going to be a gar hammer raise, which is a movement that I love. Um, I like a captain's chair knee raise. Um, I like a hanging leg raise, probably the gar hammer raise is definitely one of my like favorite reverse spinal flexions. Um, I like a cable crunch. I like a decline crunch for a lot of people really past that. Those are basically like the only core movements that I program. Yeah. I will also say if you're wanting to work your low abs, because you're seeing that that's not as flat, that's most likely either number one, you're holding fat there, which is a very normal place to hold the last bit of fat Mm -hmm. or you have maybe had babies or just for some reason your TVA is not quite as strong as it could be. And in that case, strengthening up that TVA muscle is going to help flatten you out just a bit, but also like that's where your organs are. So it's completely normal for that to not be completely flat. Uh, One more thing that you can do in that kind of a situation is a vacuum pose where you exhale all of your air out. And then with your breath held in that exhaled position, you draw your core up and in And that is a TVA exercise that helps train your, your transverse to stay tight and like be in that like pulled in position. And that can help a bit as well. It's, it takes a very long time to notice any difference though with those, but it can help strengthen your TVA, which in turn can help you activate it in those TVA movements that I said before, but that, that may be what's going on is you're just holding a little bit more fat in that area that is maybe the last to go. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. I think like most of what people want from like targeting lower abs specifically typically comes from either more TVA training or again, just taking that loss a little bit further. Okay, cool. Um, that case, that is all we have for y'all for this week. Question for you. Oh, go ahead. From Natalie, why has Jeremiah not seen Austin powers? (laughs) Um, my, my mom would never let us watch Austin Powers. I remember when we were little kids, my grandma actually gave us the Austin Powers VHS for Christmas. And we, my mom made us take it to Walmart and exchange it. So um, <laughs> that is on. I don't, I don't remember, honestly. I remember it was like Austin Powers and Mary Poppins. And we had to take them both back because they used magic and Mary Poppins, which was also... Oh, no inappropriate or something or mary poppins is magic i i've never seen it so i don't know honestly um but anyways yeah i am not familiar <laughs> with either austin powers looks super dumb so i don't know if i will ever actually watch yeah. it uh um but okay that is all we have for you guys for this time thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next time